Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Logan. I have the privilege to be the lead pastor here at LMCC. It is so good to worship with all of you today. You really brought your A-game today. Um, the band was amazing, but your voices really made it um, a beautiful morning. So yes, give yourselves a round of applause. Yes. Um, if I have yet to meet you before you leave, if you just take a moment and introduce yourself. Um, we value community, not just because it's in our name, but we, just like Moses shared, we believe it's the place where transformation truly happens. And so we want to welcome you into this church. Um, I want to begin this series by looking back at 2021 with you. Because in 2021, the most searched term on Google was how to heal. And yes, it was the second year of, what year is it, of how many pandemics? Um, second year of a global pandemic, but people weren't merely searching how to heal from COVID-19 or long COVID or anything related to that. Much of what they were searching for was how to heal from the repercussions of the pandemic. Largely the repercussions on relationships. Even now, we've started to turn our attention not to what COVID-19 looks like going forward, but the effects on mental health and relationships and struggles. And so people search for how to heal a relational divide because of political affiliation. How to heal the challenges that my marriage have faced because of isolation and quarantine. How to heal this strange relationship that I have with my children. People are hungry for how to heal in relationships. And so what we're trying to pursue in this series is something broader than a dating or a marriage series. Though if anyone's looking to date, you can look around. There's some really quality people here. Um, for those of you who are married, we all know that our marriages could use a little bit of help. Um, but what we're trying to do in the scope of this series is to go to the core of every relationship. That at the core of every single relationship, there are some deep truths and profound realities that how we relate to one another tend to be normative across relationships. And so what we're going to try to do is dig down to the truth and the teachings of Jesus alongside of what has been proven to be healthy therapeutic and psychological patterns so that you can bring back the power to heal in your relationships. Because that's what we want to be as a community. This isn't just about you healing your relationship, but you being a healing presence in every relationship. That's what God wants his people to be marked by, that, he, that we bring his presence everywhere we go. So your relationship with your boss is better because you're there. Your marriage is better because you're bringing the presence of God there. Your parenting is changed because you're being led by the greatest parent, God himself. And so the scope is broad. But what I do believe is the teachings of Jesus help us to go very deep, deep to the core of who you are, that in your healing, you can be a healer. That where you've been wounded in relationships doesn't mean that's where you stay in relationships, but God, the healer, will heal those wounds and let you be a wounded healer alongside of Christ himself. That's where we're going. And part of that is born out of my own journey. And so I share with you, not as an expert that comes from on high to tell you how to do relationships, but as a fellow journeyman, someone in process, but by God's grace can say making progress. And that's what I hope is the result of this series. 
I do want to challenge you, though, because a sermon series, why we do series, for it to be effective requires for you to participate in a few ways. And so I want to just lay the groundwork going forward so you're not surprised when we challenge and ask you to do a lot of things. For this to be effective sermon series in your life and in this church, it requires first that you be open. Open to the ideas that Jesus may know better than you how to do relationships. Open to the idea that it may not be that other person's problem that needs to change, but it may need to, you need to change. That you would be open to allow for transformation and change to happen. I say that because it is our natural tendency to resist change. We want to keep things the way they are, even if they're bad, because they're comfortable and safe. So be open to change. The second is we're going to ask you to actively pursue this. This is somewhere between a war, a workout, and going to work every day in terms of the activity that we're calling you to. And we are going to lay out some practices for you to do throughout the week so that you don't just come here and have an hour where you're like, that gives me new awareness of what I need to learn and know about. Self-awareness is fantastic, but it's a horrible place to get stuck in. And we worship self-awareness to the point where we're glad to talk about ourselves, but not see ourselves change. And so we're going to actively tell you it's time to grow. It's time to move forward. It's time for God to do something new and greater in your life. And we're going to challenge you and empower you. Because that's what I'm hoping. My entire goal is to give power back to you so that you have power and practices to see change in your life. But the last thing that we're going to ask you to do to be effective is to be vulnerable with others. We do not believe that you can change in isolation. We believe in the power of counseling and therapy. But even therapists will tell you that if that is your little black Pandora's box that you hide away from everyone else, it's not going to change who you are outside of that room. That's why we emphasize community groups. And all of our groups are not going to be studying other things this time. They're going to be digging into these truths so that over time we make progress together, that we heal relationships. And today, the message is simply that healing starts with you. That a healing in a relationship starts with you. And I'm saying that because I want to break you from this idea that if only they would, then our relationship would be better. If only my mom would stop being crazy, our relationship would be better. If only my spouse would do the very clear things that I asked of them, my relationship would be better. If my boss would stop sending me emails all the hours through the night, like everything would be better. If only. Now, would it be nice if they did those things and stop being crazy? Absolutely. Stop being crazy. Stop sending emails after five o'clock. But those are pure surface level issues. If you believe that those are the things that are affecting your reaction, you have surrendered power away from where God wants it to sit into someone else to dictate who you are, how you feel, and how you react. And so as we do this, for some of you, you need to break the relationship contract that you've created with someone else this time. Not that you need to break the relationship and ignore them forever, but you need to break the patterns that have led you to unhealth in that relationship. To be willing to do a relationship reset 
to allow for God to take you back to ground zero and build up from the foundations of the teachings of Jesus. See, this is very similar to the reconciliation message I gave in the fall, where the reconciling of relationships doesn't happen at the end when people talk. It starts in the beginning when you do the work of forgiveness, the work of your own heart, the work of your own ability to choose love in the face of pain. It starts with you. As Esther Perel puts it, it takes two people to establish a pattern, but it only takes one person to break it. And the idea being that, yes, two can dance in tango. It takes two to cause a problem. But if one person says, I'm going to choose health, then they have the power now to inject health into the unhealth of the relationship. And that is the story of God. The story of God is seeing the unhealth of the world and choosing to ingest himself into it so that his healthy presence can bring about change and life and joy. And he looks at you and I as image bearers and says, that's what it's time for you to choose to do. Step out of the pattern and be the healing presence. And thinking about this relationship, there was a, a quote that was shared with me by a bride that she wanted in her wedding. And it's by a, a Lebanese poet. And when I think about relationships, I come back to this because it's so beautifully said. His name is Khalil Gibran, and he's, he refuses to be called a philosopher, though he very much is. But here's what he says, because I want you to see the goal in this relationship series is that there will be two strong, healed individuals. That's God's hope in every relationship, whether it's boss, employee, mother, son, father, daughter, two strong, healed individuals. Here's what he says. Let there be spaces in your togetherness and let the winds of heavens dance between you. Love one another, but not make a bond or a fusion of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another the other bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you also be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. And stand together, yet not too near together. For the pillars of the temple stand apart. And the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. The beauty of two strong healed individuals of what they could do together. Building a temple. A temple could stand on their pillars. That's what I desire for each of you to be able to pursue. But it starts with you. And so today I want to give you a tool that will help you take the first step towards healing in your relationship. Then I want to show you how Jesus modeled that for us. But lastly, I want to help you see that you need Jesus to reach the full healing. You don't just need the tool. You need Jesus guiding you in the tool. And so first, I want to look at the tool. And to explain it, I want to introduce you to someone who's become very influential in my life. Um, his name is Murray Bowen. Murray Bowen is famous for Bowen Family Systems Theory. So he was a psychiatrist back in the 50s and 60s. And he was treating teenagers and young adults with their psychosis at a psych ward. And so he was doing all of this work throughout the week with these individuals, following what was commonly called an individual model of therapy, saying, we just work on the individual, they'll be better. But then Sunday came. 
And it had nothing to do with church, so it wasn't because of church that caused the problems. That was family visitation day. And what he found is no matter how much work and progress he made throughout the week, then when they went back to the family, the family dynamic was so powerful that it regressed them back to their issues in the first place. Some of you call that Christmas. (laughs) That you see this family dynamic being so prevailing and powerful that no matter how much you grow apart, you find yourself going back into the same old ugly patterns The same foolish fights because the family dynamic is so powerful. And from Bowen, what he's did is he stepped out of that psych ward and began to develop eight core concepts called Bowen Family Systems Theory. And I want to teach some of those to you because I've been learning and seeking to practice them. And they've become very very empowering and healthy for me. And so I just want to pass on to you what God's given to me. And the first tool that he gives is called self-differentiation. That even though the individual model wasn't working and he had to move to a family model of therapy, it still, as a core concept, started with the individual separating from themselves. So I put his definition, definition on the screen. It is the ability to be in emotional contact with others, yet still autonomous in one's own emotional functioning is the essence of the concept of differentiation. A lot of big words. Let me try to break it down. It's the idea that you can maintain your individuality while also staying connected in relationship. Another way to look at it is that you can maintain peace and calm while everyone else around you is reactive and stressed and anxious. That anxiety can be contagious if you let it. But if you are self-differentiated, you're you're not catching everyone else's stress and anxiety and then multiplying it and spewing on everybody else. I've talked about this with with my sons. There was a coaching relationship that I was often told uh, by coaches that there's the event and there's the reaction and you combine the two and that equals the outcome. The event you can't control. The reaction you can't. But as you add them together, that's the outcome that you get. And that reaction is where self-differentiation really begins to manifest itself. And so I want to walk through a little bit of what that is and isn't. Because what I believe as I've pressed into this and followed this is self-differentiation. And we see it in Jesus. And I want to show you it's all throughout the scriptures. But it is a tool to help you identify why is there pain in the relationship that I am in? Why has that caused hurt? Why has that caused difficulty? And then also, how can I pursue healing starting with me? So I want to bring up the sermon graphic that that the great Sam Rodbell created. Anything you see that's beautiful on social media. Can we get the sermon graphic up there? All right. Anything you see that's beautiful is not done by me. I know you're shocked. Um, Sam created this. And I'm bringing it up because it matters what we created here. Sam did this, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want us to do. And so I'm going to use it as the basis for trying to explain self-differentiation. So the next slide kind of breaks it down. Go to the next graphic. We've got to work on that. Um, all right, so I'm taking away the background so you don't get distracted by that. So healing relationships. And then the next slide. Man, if I was doing a TED Talk, I would fail miserably. All right. 
One of the opposites of differentiation is detachment, or what I term conditional cutoff. What you see in this in the two circles is two individuals, and yet there's space between them. In detachment, you separate from the relationship. It's often a defense mechanism for many of us because we've been hurt in relationships. And so we think the best thing we can do is protect ourselves and not be vulnerable in a relationship. So we create space between us. That space between us, I want you to clearly see that that allows for there to be disconnection. No healing can flow in that relationship anymore. A few examples of that are Cain with Abel. Because detachment has some words to it. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Is their problem really my problem? And that's what goes on in our head. Someone has an issue and we say, that's not my problem. And most of the time you're right. The problem is it might still be your person that you're supposed to love and to care for. So you might not supposed to be fixing that problem, but you are supposed to be caring for them in the midst of it. And that detachment and emotional, uh, emotional conditional cutoff separates the healing process. We see this in the times of Jesus with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, who have the knowledge of God, look down on those who are morally imperfect and separate themselves, taking on the mentality that many of us have and the moral theology we develop, that bad company corrupts good morals, therefore I will separate myself from sinners. And in separating yourself from sinners, you're separating them from the healing power of God. And the way to kind of bridge the gap in detachment is to heed the words of Jesus. When he says, don't miss the plank in your eye while you're trying to point out the speck in your brother or sister's eye. Because often in detachment and conditional cutoff, you're blaming and shaming the other person. There's judgment outward to separate in the relationship. But you can't see the big plank sticking out of your own eye. And what might be helpful, and what's helpful for me, is I find when judgment or criticism is rising up towards another, I say, ah, oh, that speck is supposed to be a mirror that I see myself in and go, there must be something in me if there's judgment and criticism that has to change. And so you start to bridge that gap by the route of humility of saying, I have wrong just as they do. And so then space can be reconnected. Now the opposite of detachment or conditional cutoff, I'll tell you the next slide so you can have a few minutes for it to pop up, is enmeshment or codependency. So we took the healing relationship and put it over top of each other. And what you can see is it's very little distance between the two. It's very, the individuality gets lost in the relationship. So enmeshment and codependency happens when your happiness or your sadness rises and falls depending upon the other person. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> Do we want mama to be happy? Yes. Does your happiness depend on mama? That's a question. Now codependency can exist on a very broad societal scale. In Matthew chapter 2, it says that King Herod was anxious and all of Jerusalem was anxious with him. Thank God politics don't stress us out right now. <laughs> we see it societally that codependency, even on a political leader, bringing it closer to home, there could be a codependency 
between pastor and church. I don't struggle with detachment. I don't struggle with conditional cutoff. It's not my struggle. Codependency, enmeshment, that's my struggle. And it's my struggle in many of the relationships that I find myself in. And so there has been times in the history of this church where my feeling of well-being is dependent upon your praise or your criticism. I hate to break it to you. I've broken that contract with you. (laughs) But I also want you to break the contract with me that your spiritual relationship depends on me. It doesn't. And my hope is not that you come here and it's the only place where you're fed, but that you learn to feed on God. There's a codependency that exists, but inside of marriages, inside of parenting, it can get even uglier, can it not? Inside of the workplace, you begin to absorb the stress of your boss or your coworker, or your sibling is struggling, and so therefore you're dug down into the pit with them. Enmeshment, codependency. And so it's this work of how do we differentiate? How do we move back to this self-differentiation where we are still connected, but we do not lose our individuality, where we find ourselves healthy as individuals so we can be healthy in every relationship? It is a hard work, but when you do it, I want you to see that it truly does lead to healing in a few ways. The first, it puts ownership for healing in the right place. Ownership for healing in the right place. You are responsible for your health. If you go to the doctor, the doctor will not say, well, if you come back tomorrow, I'm going to walk you through life and we're going to be healthy. They're going to prescribe for you actions and steps that you need to take to be healthy. But you have to own those steps or you will not get healthy. You have to take the medicine or you will not get healthy. The ownership of your healing needs to stop being projected onto other people, but also frees you from being the savior. You are not someone's savior. You can be free to purely be a human, imperfect, flawed, progressing, and not have to be the one that saves everyone. You can be free. But you also see that love still remains steady in self-differentiation. It's still connected in relationship. And so love can continue to wash over like river over stones to smooth out the rough places in relationships. Two healed individuals seeking healing together. Now, self-differentiation on its own is a very powerful tool used in family therapy. But I do believe that it is merely a tool that is only effective so far in as much as it's submitted to Jesus Christ. I only believe that this tool can be as powerful as God is brought into the equation. I've seen friends and family go through the family therapy model and experience health. And I've seen Jesus join in that process and it go further and stronger and greater. And so we will continue to look to Jesus, not to tools purely. Because we're going to take these tools and go, Jesus, is this scripturally true? Because we believe that if it's true in the world, it's because the truth of God has been manifested in the world. And so we want to take the truth and combine it with the one who is truth, Jesus Christ. 
And so I want you to see that Jesus is this model of self-differentiation in Matthew 16. And I want, to see you how, see, I want you to see how he helps Peter start to re-differentiate when he loses his differentiation. So going back to the passage, so I want to look again. Oh, oh man, I skipped a step. I'll come back to it. Um, in Matthew 19, Jesus had this conversation with Peter. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I say this to you, Peter, which means rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So stop for a second. Peter's got to feel pretty good, right? All the disciples are given wrong answers. They're like, Elijah, John the Baptist. Peter's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, that's right. You're blessed. Peter's feeling pretty good. He's probably looking around at the disciples saying, told you. And he said, I'm going to be a leader. The very next paragraph we read in Scripture is the exact opposite. In Matthew 16, as it continues, Jesus says, now that you know I'm the Messiah, I want to tell you what kind of Messiah I'm going to be. Because the disciples hear that, and through their Jewish first century lens, their understanding of the Messiah that's been taught to them was that a Messiah was going to come and be a king, a warrior, who was going to defeat the Roman government, overthrow, and through political prevailing, will set up a nation state, honoring God, and through that, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Some call that Democrat, some call that Republican, but that's what tended people tend to think about the Messiah. We think it, they thought it. And so then Jesus says, I'm not going to be that kind of Messiah. I'm going to be a Messiah that destroys what's affecting the entire earth, not just the people of Israel. I'm going to be a Messiah that doesn't just affect what Republicans care about or Democrats care about. I'm going to be a Messiah that gets to the heart of the human problem. And I'm going to destroy sin and death and Satan himself so that I set up a kingdom over all the earth, over all mankind. Because that's the Messiah that we all need. And that's how all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then here was, here's Peter's response. <laughs> Praising him in public and then he takes him aside, right? He takes him aside, and I just love this. He begins to reprimand him for saying such things. I know I said you're the Messiah, but let me tell you how it's done. And I like, heaven forbid, Lord. I know that you're the son of the living God, but heaven forbid you do what you just said you did. I will never let this happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm pretty confused. Am I the rock on which you're going to build the kingdom? Or am I a dangerous trap that looks like Satan? And what Jesus is trying to help Peter see is what you and I need to come to grips with. Is that in the paradox and the tension, we're both. That Jesus can look at you and say, I will build my kingdom on you. And he can also look to you 
and say, you're listening to Satan. You're a dangerous trap. You could destroy the kingdom. But in this relationship, let's point out a couple things. Jesus is self-differentiated because he's not depending on Peter's praise or Peter's reprimands to define who he is. He says, Peter, what you say about me is true because it was revealed by my Father in heaven, not because other people say it. He says it's this secret mystery that once you become curious about it, it's revealed by God alone. He's self-differentiated because he's submitted to God's definition of himself. And what I want you to hear in self-differentiation is you're pursuing this truth. God designed you, so God defines you. He designed who you are, and that's why he wants to define who you will be and will become. And that's what self-differentiated, submitted to Jesus looks like. Your Father in heaven revealing who he's made you to be. His son, his daughter, and whom he's well pleased, and whom he has plans for, and whom he is shaping and transforming into who he's intended you to be. God defines you. Because he designed you. But I also want you to see how he alone corrects Peter in the right way. I actually love that he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's creepy and weird for many of us to think that you just call people Satan. And you're like, can I call people Satan? Because I feel like that on Monday mornings. He doesn't say, get behind me, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because he's getting to what's behind Peter's words. When he says you're blessed, he's saying you're blessed because you're speaking what's been revealed by God to me. When he says getting behind me, you're a dangerous trap, it's because you're listening to Satan's ideas of what I'm supposed to do in your life, and you're letting that be channeled through you. This is where Jesus alone can help you self-differentiate and separate you from truth and lie. Because he alone can be able to speak to you and say, that's from God, that's from the devil. And you need to hear, those are the only two options he gives. He doesn't say, "Uh, Peter, your childhood is informing how you're treating me right now. How your boss acted towards you is informing how you're interacting with me right now. He's saying that you're as healthy as an individual and healthy in a relationship as much as you're channeling what God is revealing or you are channeling what the devil is revealing. And this is why we need Jesus. I need Jesus to tell me when how I'm seeing someone is through God's point of view or the devil's. I need Jesus to come and say, get behind me, Satan, inside of you. Let my spirit prevail out of you. I want to read from you a passage in 1 Peter. The author who was told by Jesus to get behind him, and yet I'll build the kingdom with you. Because look how Peter describes Jesus, and I want you to see how this can help you in every relationship. Peter says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. 
He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like a sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. There's going to be a recurring theme throughout this entire series. And it's essentially this, that what you need most in your relationship is Jesus in your relationship. And before Jesus can be in your relationship, Jesus has to become real in your life. And in Jesus, we get to channel his health, his wounded healing power to our wounds and then through our wounds being healed to heal others. That's what he's after. But I want to give you two exercises that you take away from this to force you to actively seek Jesus to differentiate yourself with him so that you can get healthy. The first is relationship assessment questions, which was a few slides back. I want you to ask these questions. What relationships am I in that need more health? And I phrase it like that because some of you are like, I mean, most of my healing, most of my relationships are fine. More health. Health in relationships is a spectrum. Even Murray Bowen talks about self-differentiate as a spectrum from zero to 100. Nobody gets to 100. Which relationships are you in that need more health? And some of you are like, every single one. Just choose two. Maybe just choose one. But the second question is not, what do I want them to change? The second question is, how do I approach that relationship? How am I entering into that relationship? Be honest with yourself. But don't stop there. The third question matters. How does Jesus lead me toward a healthier relationship? And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the question that defines every question. How does Jesus lead you into a healthy relationship wherever you go? And if you're a non-Christian, what we believe is that God has created great human capacity. But in Jesus, we see the beauty of humanity and the power of divinity come together. And that by faith, the power of divinity can come into your great humanity and change and transform you. And that's the invitation of faith. But the second exercise, and I'm going to be emailing it out this week just to give you some help on it, is called a life-giving list. It's a practice I stole from another pastor named Steve Cuss. Because the only way that you can self-differentiate is that if you have value on yourself, is that you see that God values you and loves you. And the question that you have to ask is, am I loving myself the way that God loves me? And I had to take a serious look in the mirror and realize that I hadn't been. I thought I was doing self-care, but I found myself in some self-destructive behaviors. Because my body was crying out to do things that gave me life, and I was doing things that just gave me a taste of life. Ted Lasso is great, <laughs> but it's not the fullness of life. And God began to show me that there are things that I can do in this world that just give me life, not because they're helping me accomplish tasks or goals or resolutions in my life, but because they just say I'm valuable enough to experience joy and peace in this, and God's wired me for it. So I play soccer on Sunday nights, and I'm terrible at it, but it gives me joy. 
I do watch Ted Lasso way too many times because it gives me joy. I recite the Psalms out loud because in meditating them in that way, they become a mantra that gives me life. These are a few things on my life-giving list. And I want you to begin to think about what gives you life. Because what God says is what gives you life was born from him, the author of life. You were made for relationships. And our relationships need healing. But your relationships need you to be healed in Jesus first. Let's pray. Jesus, you are on your throne. That's what we sang earlier, but that's what we declare now. But you invite us to approach your throne with confidence that you're ready to speak to us and talk with us. And so we come today to ask you to define who we are. And we ask you to, today to reveal to us where we have been the cause of pain in relationships so that we can be the place of healing in every relationship. We need you. We can't do this without you. So lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.